Uh, today is back to church Sunday. Uh, I remember one of my Sunday school teachers took us out for lunch after Sunday school, and uh, there were just about four of us uh, seven-year-olds who actually attended Sunday school that morning. And so after church, we were in the drive-thru for Mecca, uh, at Mecca's drive-thru, and everyone is ordering up large. And my Sunday school teacher was telling everybody, you guys can order whatever you want, like go hundies. And so then my friends, they start ordering massively. Like this was during the time of the double, double cheese, cheese, burger, burger, please, please, if you can remember. They were ordering up large. They were like, I'm not even talking about a, a happy meal situation. I'm talking about seven-year-olds ordering adult-sized combos, large fries, large burgers, large uh, drinks. And then they've even added large sundaes to it. It was incredible. But it comes to me and then I try to act all, you know, cool and calm and respectful. And I'm like, no, 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 it's all good. Just get me a small fries, get me a small burger and get me a small drink. Stink. And so I'm sitting there with my small ass combo and everybody else starts digging into their massive adult sized combos. And I'm telling you, I, I'm starting to get mad now because everyone else has seized the opportunity, but I didn't. And so I do what every seven-year-old Samoan kid does. I look at all the other guys and I'm like, bro, just give us some, you know? And it went from that to, if you don't, you wait till we get to church, bro. Like, you know, I'm mad at them because I've not taken the opportunity when it came. I'm mad at them because like, you know, I, I'm thinking, I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh man, I should have just ordered up large. I should have done this. I should have done that. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were presented with an opportunity and instead of take the opportunity and make the most of it, you just let the opportunity pass you by or you shrink back in fear. And then afterwards, you'd play that you know, situation over and over and over in your mind. And you're like, man, I shoulda, I coulda, I woulda, I, I just shoulda done all of this other thing. And there's a quote that says that the way that you perceive an opportunity that comes into your life determines how you are going to act on it. If you only ever view an opportunity through the lens of fear, you're going to respond in fear. If you view an opportunity through the lens of impossible, you're never going to give it a go. If you only ever view the opportunity through the lens of ungratefulness, you're only going to respond in ungratefulness. But you see, it's also the same if you move into a new opportunity with old mindsets and old methodology. You can't expect to take your business or your family or your small group or your team into new opportunities with old ideas, communicating old messages, using old language and old strategies. Because the truth is the new logo is going to look nice. The new brand is going to be pretty. But if the old culture still exists, if the old habits still exist, guess what? You're walking into self-sabotage. The way that you perceive an opportunity is going to determine how you act on them. You know, it's been a difficult last two years. And the truth is, it's going to take time for things to kind of settle again. But as we come back to church, we have an opportunity right here, this year, this moment, actually today, to choose and decide what we are going to do. But as we come back to church, now that we are back, what are we going to do? Now that we are doing church in the room again, what are we going to do? Pastor Queenie preached a message last week about the new wardrobe. Now that we've got a new wardrobe, what are we doing? What are we going to do? The way that we perceive this opportunity is going to determine how we act on it. And I'm so excited about this opportunity that we have because it means we can take a step back and say, God, we thank you for what you've done but we know these more and we're excited to see what it is that you are going to do. And so we're not just going to go back saying the, the same old thing. We're not just going to believe for the same old thing. We're not going to do the same old things. No, I believe it's time for us 
to maximize the moment. Turn to the person next to you and say, maximize the moment. <laughs> Amen. You can go ahead. Uh, you can take your sermon notes out. Take your Bibles out. We're going to pray. God, as we come around your word this morning, Lord, we don't just come with our ears engaged. God, we come with our hearts engaged, with our minds engaged. We open our spiritual eyes, Lord, to hear that and receive that which you, have, uh, which you are going to speak to us today. And so I pray, God, uh, that as we leave this place, Lord, that we will be empowered, encouraged, and comforted by your word and challenged, Lord, to do that which you've called us to do. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14 to 21. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You can read along in your Bible, on your Bible or you can follow the screen. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then Elisha said to him, to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, Elisha said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of that year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Maximize the moment. We pick up the story at a time where King Joash is king over Israel. Not much is said about King Joash, but what we do know is that he was like all the other kings that came before him. Uh, who, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so he continued on in the sinful things that previous kings had caused Israel to commit. He reigned for 16 years. During this time, a man by the name of King Hazael was reigning over Aram, and he's coming for Israel. King Hazael is said to have led the Arameans into battles against both Israel and Judah. He revolted against Assyrian attacks. He conquered many nations. And so here he is, King Hazael is wanting to oppress the people of Israel. And so he's coming to war against them. He's wanting to conquer them. During this time, God was moving through and speaking through prophet Elisha. Prophets were people who God used and called to speak to people on his behalf. Prophets would speak messages that demonstrate just how God wanted to be close to his people, how God wanted them to flourish and experience love, peace, and joy. But sin gets in the way. And so God sends prophets like Elisha to warn the people and urge them to turn away from their sins because it ultimately leads to their destruction. So when the people don't listen to what the prophet's saying, they experience the consequence of their actions, just like the prophets say. But when the people listen, they receive God's promised 
mercy. Now, prophet Elisha was a great man of God that God used in such a mighty way. He performed many miracles in the name of the Lord. He resurrected the son of a Shunammite woman. He parted the waters of the Jordan River. He multiplied the oil in a flask for a widow. He took poison out of a soup. He multiplied loaves and, sped, uh, and fed so many people with it. He healed a leper and he even made an axe head float. Now, many scholars of the Bible say that it didn't matter how weak Israel's chariotry and cavalry would have been because Elisha was their secret weapon. Elisha was their chariotry and cavalry. But in today's text, he's on his deathbed. He's, he has not been mentioned in the narrative of kings for more than 50 years. The last time we hear of uh, prophet Elisha is back in chapter 9, where he is anointing Jehu to be king over Israel. In today's text, he's an old man. In today's text, he is sick. In today's text, he is at the point of death. And so the king of Israel is on his way to get an opportunity with Elisha. The king's substitute for lost military power, Elisha, is dying. The king's secret weapon, Elisha, is dying. The king's only source of victory is dying. And so the king is coming down to get a moment with him. He's coming down to get a final word with the prophet Elisha. He's wanting to know what to do next. He's feeling the pressure of what it means to step into something that he's not really prepared for. Because when Elisha is gone, the king is going to be on his own. And so he has to make the most of this opportunity that he's got to see Elisha. He's got to seize the opportunity. He's got to maximize the moment. There are three moments in the story that I want us to look at this morning. And the first moment, I've called it God moment. The king walks into the room and the Bible says that he starts to weep over the prophet Elisha's face and say, oh my father, oh my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. He is weeping over Elisha because he is being left unarmed and defenseless before the enemy. With these words, the king acknowledges Elisha to be Israel's strength and their protection because everywhere Elisha went, miracles happened. Everywhere Elisha went, the impossible became possible. Everywhere Elisha went, things would begin to happen. Everything Elisha spoke would happen. Everything Elisha warned the people about would happen. And so the king is weeping over the one thing that he had left that would help him to defeat their enemies. Elisha responds to the king and says, take a bow and get some arrows. Put your hands on the bow. Elisha placed his hands on the king's hands. And he goes on to say, now open the window. He opens the window. Elisha said, shoot, the king shot. Then Elisha said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow, of, uh, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance from Syria. In other words, what Elisha is saying to the king is this, the victory is already yours. This moment is symbolic of victory. It's symbolic of deliverance. It's symbolic of recovery. But the power of the text is not in how good the king could shoot the arrow. Because it isn't about how strategic or skillful he is in shooting the arrow. The power of the text is in the fact that God was giving him the victory. The power of the text is in the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Deliverance was going to be the Lord's doing. Victory was going to be the Lord's doing. Recovery was going to be the Lord's doing. Church, you need to know that as long as the arrow of the Lord, Lord's deliverance is present, you are going to be able to make the most of any given opportunity. Because if anybody is going to give you the victory, it's God. If anybody's going to do anything new in your life, it's God. 
If anybody's going to open up doors and opportunities you never thought you would have had, it's God. If anybody's going to do the healing, it's God. If anybody is going to break the general, uh, generational curses in your life, it's God. If anybody is going to carry you through the most difficult and challenging times in your life, it's God. You're not going to get the victory crying over what's dying. You're not going to get the victory crying over what's coming to an end. If you want to maximize the moment, you've got to be willing to pick up the bow and grab you some arrows and begin to shoot. The king thought that Elisha was going to comfort him and bid him farewell and give him a word of encouragement. But instead, Elisha said, you better grab the bow and you better get you some arrows because you're going to start shooting. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but you came in here expecting God to comfort you. You came in here expecting God to pat you on the back and sing you a lullaby and rock you back and forth. But God is saying to you this morning, I'm about to train your hands for war. If you're going to make the most of the circumstance, if you're going to make the most of the situation, if you're going to make the most of this opportunity, here's what you ought to do. Get you a bow, get you some arrows and begin to shoot. Church, this is your opportunity to maximize the moment. If you're still struggling with the same addiction you've been struggling with 10 years ago, it's time to pick up the bow, grab you some arrows and shoot your way, moving into opposition to those addictions. Start getting yourself the help that you need. Get yourself the accountability that you need. Get yourself the support that you need. If you're struggling with legalism, it's time to pick up the bow, get the arrows and start moving in opposition to religion. If you feel like you've been to church for so many years but still feel disconnected, it's time to pick up the bow, grab you some arrows and start moving in opposition to disconnection. Be intentional about building relationships. Hang out with someone, join a small group, join the dream team, do life and community. If you've been too afraid to tell people about Jesus this last two years, it's time for you to pick up the bow, grab you some arrows, and start moving in opposition to fear. If you've walked away from the Lord in the last two years, it's time for you to pick up the bow, grab you some arrows, and start moving in opposition to every single thing that the enemy has tried to throw at you to keep you away from God. Why? Because God has already given you the victory. <laughs> As long as the arrow of the Lord's deliverance is present, you will have the victory. And it's as simple as this. If God said it, then it's done. And so the key is to invite God into your moments. Whenever a moment of it or an opportunity presents itself, invite God into the moment. Even if it's a quick prayer, Lord, what do I do? Lord, show me what to do. Lord, help. Regardless of what the moment may be, invite God into it. Let me ask you this question. What moments in your life, what battles in your life are you needing to invite God into? The Bible says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I'm telling you, you're gonna wear yourself out, frustrate yourself, trying to position the arrow and open the windows and shoot the arrow if you don't allow God to come in and define your moments. Invite God into your moments, don't do it alone. Now you may ask me, why should I invite God? And I will say, well, why wouldn't you invite God? The one who knows all things. The one who sees all things. The one who knows your beginning from your ending. I don't know, maybe invite him because we're finite and he's infinite. Or maybe because what we see is temporary and what he sees is eternal. I thought perhaps it, it just makes sense to ask the one who created everything. Here's, here's moment number two. I've called this one the faith moment. Elisha said to the king, take the arrows and start to strike the ground. The king took the arrows and he struck the ground three times and then he stopped. And Elisha became angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Uh, you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. 
But now you will only strike Syria three times. Elisha has made it clear. There is a connection between the arrows being shot and the victory over Syria. The king knew that these arrows represented the Lord's deliverance over Israel. The arrows were symbolic of victory. And yet when presented with an opportunity to partner with God and claim the victory that God had given him, he strikes the ground only three times. The point of the passage is that the king stopped too soon. He lacked the perseverance. He lacked the determination. He lacked the faith. He was content with half measures and incomplete achievement. And so therefore, the future victory over Syria would be a limited victory. If he had continued to strike with the arrows, Israel's victory would have been absolute. Now I wanna say this, if there's one thing that the enemy is after, it's your faith. Oftentimes, we get so hung up on, you know, oh, the faith is coming for my things. He's, we think that the enemy's after our stuff, and we think the enemy's after our house, and now we think he's after our, ha- our car. Now we think he's after our bank account. Now we think he's after our marriage. No, the enemy is after your faith. But the reason he attacks all these things is to get to your faith, because the only way you're going to make it, the only way you're going to survive, the only way you're going to get through life, the only way you're going to be able to maximize a moment is faith, but not just faith faith in God. I believe that God is saying to you this morning, church, I've already given you the victory, but it's up to you to decide how many times you're going to strike the ground. And so I'm just wondering if there's anybody in Elam Christian Center Manurua this morning who's got enough courage and enough tenacity, enough faith to say, I'm maximizing this moment right now. I'm not going to strike the ground just one time. I'm going to do it a second time, a third time, a fourth time, fifth time, a sixth time, a seventh time. Because the victory has nothing to do with how good I can shoot the arrow and everything to do with the object of my faith. It is by faith that I'm able to step into the moment and maximize it. By faith, I can seize the opportunity. By faith, I can maximize the moment because God has already declared the victory is mine. Let me ask you this question. Where in your life are you striking the ground three times when you should be striking it five, six, seven times? Where in your life are you doing okay when God wants you to do great? Where in your life have you settled with just enough when God wants you to have abundance? Where in your life have you stopped believing for God's uh, for God to do a miracle with your impossible situation? If you've stopped striking the ground after three, you need to go and look at what you believe. Because it takes faith to maximize the moment. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Therefore, to exercise faith is to have confidence about an expectation without visible proof that it's going to happen. The thing that makes this kind of confidence possible is not how much faith that we have, but the trustworthiness of the object we put our faith in. And so the question you ought to be asking yourself is, do I believe that God is trustworthy? And if your answer is yes, you need to ask yourself, do I act like it? Because belief is demonstrated by what you do. If you want to understand the strength of your faith, look at what you do. Because it's one thing to strike the ground, but it's another thing to strike the ground with faith. Because fear strikes the ground three times, faith is going to strike the ground seven times. Fear will strike the ground and stop, but faith will strike the ground and keep on going until there's no more arrows to strike the ground with. Fear will do things half-hearted. Faith jumps all the way in. Fear looks at limitation, but faith looks at God's limitlessness. Fear will have you shrink back, but faith is going to have you pick up a bow and get you some arrows. (laughs) Maximize the moment. Do it with faith. If I can ask the keys to join me. Thanks, Ronnie. Here's your moment number three. I'm calling this one the miracle moment. You know what I love about this text 
is that the author shifts our focus and takes the time to pin down a miracle moment. When Elisha died, they buried him. And so the author then goes on to say that some years later, people from the neighboring nations were starting to invade and uh, raid Israel. And so during a funeral, while some people were busy trying to bury a man, the raiders showed up. And so these people just quickly put the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And the Bible says that when the body of the man touched Elisha's bones, he revived and stood on his feet. Can you imagine how the king would have felt when Elisha died? The king may have wondered if the promises of God died with the prophet. The king is focused so much on Elisha's death that he's missing the point. But look at how good God is. He graciously performs a miracle even after Elisha dies. The miracle was telling the king of Israel, the prophet may have died, but I, the Lord, am still alive. Your situation may look like it's one of defeat, but I'm the God who gives the victory. There are people in this room in this, this morning who've had the opportunity to maximize the moment and you started, but somewhere along the way, you stopped. You stopped reading the word. You stopped praying. You stopped fellowshipping. You stopped believing. You stopped applying for the jobs. You stopped giving things a go. You stopped trusting. You stopped writing the music. You stopped dreaming big. You stopped having faith. You just stopped. And you're saying, it got too hard. I don't think I have it in me to keep going. Life just got too hard. The struggle got too real. My situation is too big. This mountain is too big. I'm not gonna be big enough to handle this. God got you in the room this morning just to let you know that you're not gonna get the victory because of how big you are. God is not gonna give you the victory based on how strong or tough you are. God don't give the victory based on how your bank account looks. God don't give the victory based on how many degrees you got. He don't give the victory because you can afford it. He don't give the victory because you've got all your ducks lined in a row. No, He is the God who takes that which is gone and difficult and impossible and dead and does and less, and He does a miracle with it. That's how you know that He is God. He's the kind of God who will use dead bones to bring life. He's a God who will use dirt to make a blind man see. He's a God who will use a donkey to get a man's attention. He's a God who will cause a son to stand still until you've got the victory. Let me take the most of this moment. Let me make the most of this opportunity to tell you about our God. He is the great I am. He's a God who heals. He's a God who provides. He's a God of peace. He's a God who sees. He's God almighty. He's a faithful God. He's a miracle working God. He's a promise keeping God. You see, God doesn't need to maximize moments. He steps into them and miracles just break out. <laughs> because when he gets to shifting things and moving things and aligning things and making things happen, impossible doesn't stand a chance in his presence. I want to say this to you. Whenever you get to, uh, to a point in your life, when you just want to stop believing, when you just want to bury the dream, when you feel like the situation you're facing is about to overcome you, you need to shift your focus off of what you're feeling, shift your focus off of what you see, shift your focus off of what's in front of you and put your focus on God. You know, even as I prepared this message and when I started to write that, I said, Lord, they already know this, you know? <laughs> they don't need me to tell them. They know this in their minds. And I felt the Lord say, well, you're gonna tell them again and you're gonna tell them again and you're gonna tell them again until they know it in their heart. The reason your shampoo bottle says leather, rinse and repeat 
is because when you repeat the cycle, you are able to catch any excess dirt and residue that you have missed the first time. You may have heard focus on God before, but the reason you're hearing it again is because there are patterns and behaviors that you keep defaulting to that weren't exposed the first time you heard it. So I'm going to preach this thing until every single habit and mindset and methodology other that, that keeps you focused on something other than God is uprooted and destroyed. Take your focus off of what you feel and what you see and what's in front of you and put your focus on God. Take your focus off of what you feel and what you see and what's in front of you and put your focus on God. I feel a shift in the place. Take your focus off of what you feel and what you see and what's in front of you and put your focus on God. Turn to the person next to you and say, maximize the moment. Glory to God.